our industry coverage. And so we bought five businesses in 18 months, uh, you know, through the pandemic, which was, which was a, a remarkably difficult, but, but gratifying thing. And it really helped me bridge from the constellation experience about how do you really drive value creation? You, you got to compete in your market. You got to customer, you got to have strong customer service. You got to have predictable recurring revenue. You have to do a whole bunch of things to make the business run. But ultimately, you know, how do you generate value for, for shareholders? If you have shareholders and if you don't have shareholders, you want to create some value for, for your entrepreneurial efforts at some point. And often, you know, figuring out how you build a business so that it's attractive to a shareholder, whether you want to do it with a minority venture or you want to do a majority private equity or you want to sell your business outright. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Leaders, really excited about bringing one of our really, you know, amazingly successful leaders uh, uh, in our organization, uh, Chris Chapman, has had an incredible uh, career. He is right now the partner and managing director of MNP, a mid-market firm focusing on helping advise fast-growing companies across Canada and the in the U.S. Previously, he's he's played that role at. KPMG and Deloitte um, as the national leader of growth companies and two different opportunities. He's been a, a founder and um, a uh, part of the founding group of numerous businesses. And then one interesting company that that's kind of a, a really a unbelievable success story in Canada, a company called Can- Constellation Software. He spent a number of years there buying companies and just learning why they've become, you know, one of the top companies literally over the world in the last number of decades in what they do. We just have a really amazing conversation about, you know, Chris's incredible career over the last number of decades. And I highly recommend getting out a notepad, taking some notes if you're interested in potentially developing your own business down the road and what he sees advising literally hundreds of highly successful companies grow and expand their businesses about what it really takes. So you know what we're interested in, and that is finding other amazing young leaders. So if you know anyone, please send me an email, cthompson at studentworks.com. You can click on the link in the show notes, go to studentworks.com or send uh, a friend this podcast. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Chris, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So happy to have you on. Great to be here, Chris. Yeah, I know it's been awesome. And I know we got an opportunity to have dinner and, and some drinks this summer, which was fantastic to catch up in Little Italy. So that was a treat. And uh, it's, uh, I really, in many ways, today's uh, podcast will be really kind of my first opportunity to dig into your career path over the years, post-student works and what you did and why you did it. So I'm very excited. Yeah. And as you know, I, I got real uh, heart for the whole program and really Chris I mean it was the first really intersection with running a business or having any real commercial <laughs> purpose 
in the program, you know, as, as, a, as a young student, um, but also just specifically getting them the mentorship and the coaching and the parameters for really how to run a, a, a business and grow it and make it profitable and all the things that, that come with that. So, yeah, super excited to, to kind of jump into that. So let's start with who was Chris Chapman of Coburg, Ontario, before you bumped into to us at StudentWorks? Yeah, so I mean, probably a classic uh, story you've seen hundreds and hundreds of times now, you know, a small town uh, boy <laughs> turning into a man through the Student Advantage Program, our Student Works Program. And, um, you know, seeing a big world, being curious about commerce and business and tracked entrepreneurs, you know, as a, a young person and wanted to get out of Dodge, so to speak, and, and go and do something in the city and and what platform could I use, you know, as a aspiring entrepreneur and, and obviously the campus recruiting and everything that came led me to the, to the program. And that was a, you know, that was a fundamental change for, for me. I was um, like many, you know, high school students or preschool students. I was a bit of an introvert. I, you know, wasn't sure whether school or um, what in school was really going to be of interest and, you know, knew I wanted to, do big things hopefully and get out of a small town, but really didn't have the confidence or the platform to do that. And in as you and I've talked about over the years, in all seriousness, it was like the catapult for me. It was the thing that really, really defined the foundation for what became most of the confidence that I took in in the rest of my career. There were a few other things that helped, but that was really it. And so that's kind of the early story of how I kind of kickstarted my career, if you will. And I remember us kind of joking like we were the original dot-com kids before the dot-com. Like we were all trying to figure out how to be the biggest entrepreneur and and think big and dream big and run a business and and just build something uh, from from kind of scratch, which was which was really the thesis that has cut through every part of my career since then. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. Um that's that's how how you and I thought. I guess I'm a uh, a chunk older, but not that much older. You know, at the time it seemed like I'm sure a lot older, but really not that much older. And 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 it's just that big future, big interest. You know, what are we going to do? You know, how much do we need to work? Whatever it takes. You know, and that that excitement and that motivation, uh, and it was inspiring. And and for our leaders, I was Chris's coach. Um, so I was the coach uh, and coach directly, uh, Chris directly over the three years, year, three plus years he was in the program. But Chris, if you think back, what do you still take from the program? What do you what, what still impacts the things that you've done over the last number of decades? Yeah, I mean, I think that entrepreneurial spirit and everything that comes with that to to create a business and 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 create an outcome. I guess uh, you know, if I think about every element of my career has touched on being part of a founding team, being a founder, because I did do other startups after um, works, and now as my career progressed, I. I've been um, an advisor to hundreds of founders, uh, mostly in the tech industry and in the, in the Canadian tech industry. And then I've also been an investor, a portfolio manager, and a buyer of businesses. But even in those cases, I was partnering with founders to help them, in many cases, get some liquidity, but also kind of uh, recapitalize the business for them to grow. And so that theme has stuck with me my whole career. And I guess it's it's truly where my 
passion has been and where I've kept my focus because I just have that in my DNA. And that DNA came from, from the program. It, it really did. I'm, I'm sure I would have done other entrepreneurial things, but having a program and a platform and a method and a coach, uh, that just accelerates the outcome and generally reduces the risk. Yes, generally, yes. There's still risk, as we know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why don't we start with, um, you know, stepping outside student works. You know, what was the what was the first big, and I know we're going to walk over some of the many different opportunities that you've chosen over the years, but what was the big opportunity that you went and chose to, to, to dig into? As the sort of the second. The second, yes. Yeah, I mean, literally, I, through the final part of business school, which I paid for with, with the Student Works program, actually figured out how to make money in my later years and invest that, that money at a very young age. So that sort of started my modest modest portfolio at a young age. I took some of that portfolio and invested it in my a startup that I did years later, along with some other investors that we attracted to the business. But I think what it did for me it, it, after university, I, I realized I, I wanted to have a thesis for creating a competitive advantage. And what I was seeing was technology in the early 90s was redefining how corporations were doing business. You know, Federal Express, Walmart, supply chain management, all kinds of big macro things that were happening. And, and companies were creating a competitive advantage by using technology as a kind of a strategic uh, advantage. I may have thought of it in those terms, but uh, it was certainly an instinct. And so as a business student, I'm like, I better learn about the technology industry. And so I was a campus recruit for a company that it's, it's now owned by HP. And I went as a campus recruit and the First thing I put on the table was that I've been an entrepreneur, I've run a business, I've hired people, I've managed clients, I've, I've made payroll um, and other things like that. And, um, you know, it, it fast forwarded my ability to get that job. I, I, I'm almost certain I wouldn't have got that first job um, in a large corporate. And I really went there to kind of get another platform um, to help me get into the technology industry as a non-engineer and a non-software development person. And that quickly led me to dealing with entrepreneurs that were part of our partner network um, that I then went and joined a, a founder-led business, invested in that. We we grew that like crazy and we exited it through the dot-com dot, dot com crash. And so that was sort of uh, a, another real changing point that came off of, you know, frankly, this foundation. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. One of the things I've noticed over the years is, is quite often our People leaving our business choose sales because growth and opportunity, that's that's where the, the opportunity is. That's where the, the the revenue, the profit is. And then technology has always been a huge, huge spot for people to sort of say, hey, even if they're not like you, a technologist, let's go start selling it. And then I can really become more and more aware of it. You know, what have you done, Ashley? Because because literally since 1994, you have become a real technology expert, right? You know, launching and be advising business after business in technology. What have you done to become, you know, I guess, so qualified in that area or, or, or knowledgeable in that area, Chris? Yeah. So, I mean, I always had a, a business um, slant on it. And obviously the world we live in now, every business is a tech-enabled business, if you will. And, you know, technology is an innovation cycle. It, it, it redefines the actual technology, but it tends to redefine markets. It redefines, it disrupts markets, and it um, it's an innovation cycle that 
you know, frankly, challenges business models of incumbents. And so as an entrepreneur that you're kind of, you always think about, you know, how do you, how do you beat the giants and how do you, how do you take your entrepreneurial aspirations, point it at a market? I happen to point it at the technology industry. And then just, you know, over time, when you've kind of worked on all sides of the table, you, you learn more and more about how you commercialize a business, how you capitalize a business, how you create value. Because uh, ultimately, you need to create a return for shareholders, or at least that's the world, the world I live in. And, um, you know, run that cycle through, you know, multiple decades of, of, of sort of technology innovation. And, and so that, that's kind of where I've, where I've spent my time. So, you know, you, you exited that business that grew incredibly fast with a group of partners. What did you choose to do next? Um, so I did, I did my own startup because I was part of that startup and I was part of that founding team. Another great mentor was in that business, the founder of that business. I'm like, I, I learned about how a multinational operated. I worked with partners that were entrepreneurs and now I'm going to go and work for a Brockstar entrepreneur and and uh, and be part of that. And um, so, following that, I I took some of the capital from from my portfolio and and from that outcome, and then raised some capital and 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 built a product and built a business and hired a team and signed outsourcing partners to help us do software developments and and start to commercialize and, and build that business. That business was the other end of the spectrum. Uh, I ended up doing a, a sale of assets of of that business and unfortunately having to, to go through a couple of series of layoffs and literally lock the door behind us uh, when we, when we closed the office. And so that was a whole other, you know, cycle to, to go through. And, you know, when I think back, I went through that student works like my first year, uh, you know, <laughs> you're kind of a mess. Uh, no, you're officially a mess um, as much as Chris and others try to help. And, and that's uh that I, I remember going through that that same cycle, and I remember talking to my dad about things. And I remember that year at Christmas, I was literally back in school, paying off creditors and 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 scheduling creditor payments um, because I was still still recovering from from that you know negative uh, experience. And I remember saying to my dad, you know, I I feel richer than ever. I've I've learned a lot. Um, I was probably officially insolvent <laughs> right <laughs> as as most students are right forget about me and, and forget about that part of it like paying for school had nothing to do i was insolvent from running the business and then i had to pay for school right um, which is probably why i worked really hard and figured it out the next year <laughs> and you did really well that next year i remember yeah and then it's like oh i know how to make money oh i know how to grow a business okay we'll make it bigger make it bigger make it bigger and then that that growth cycle is is a challenge too so i think you know overall you know, any kind of entrepreneur pursuit is you get humbled many, many times. And I think that doesn't have to take away your conviction to to do it again or do it differently or learn from it and 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 change it. And so those were those were some of those earlier ex- experiences. And then I went and worked for a public um, company that um, was my first public company experience. I did a couple public company kind of growth stories and. We restructured one of those businesses, so I'd never done restructuring before, and so I, I learned how to do restructuring inside a inside a public company with with a public company board and and shareholders to answer to, 
and then and then I actually started I, I started the part of my career where I actually ended up inside um, the accounting and management consulting advisory firms that, uh, and, and I've been that's been about half my career over time and even in those environments I my client base has always been founder led or family led uh, run businesses and so I kind of stay true to that um, and stay true to it, mostly mostly around tech businesses. Right, right. And so so I know you were the national leader of technology at Deloitte and the fast growing businesses. So when you look at when you look at that type of business, um, you know, you know, what's what's the what drew you to I guess you were also at K- KPMG and now you're at MNP. So what what's drawn you to that versus entrepreneurialism, doing it on your own? Like, you know, how 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 did you judge that? Yeah, I mean, one thing I realized from being in even in, in that early first campus recruit career uh, with, with the HP company was um, you could be an entrepreneur in a large organization and you can drive that entrepreneurship. And so, you know, I, I joined what was Arthur Anderson at the time. And I thought the one thing that is going to come with joining Arthur Anderson is there's not going to be a change of control. I think I'd had, I think I'd had 10 change of controls by the time I'd worked 10 years, maybe then that's a little bit off, but it was, it was kind of like that. And I thought, well, this is a 225-year-old partnership. There's not going to be a change of control. And day three, I started hearing about Enron on the internal voicemails. And then that quickly became Deloitte. So that's how I ended up at, at Deloitte. But I was I had interfaced um, because we did a lot of large financial service software implementations when we were building out the online banking and brokerage platform that we had. And so we worked with the system integrators that were all in big, big firms. Um, I'd seen it from a vendor side and I, I was really curious at that point in my career to really learn how to professionalize some of the things I'd done as a kind of scrappy entrepreneur working for as an operator. You know, and then when the delay transaction happened, I had a, had an opportunity to lead the practice nationally for um, really venture back and founder led businesses. And my time inside all the firms has been focused on that. And that's, that's one thing I really like about MMP is they're really a mid-market firm. They're focused on entrepreneurs and not on large corporate uh, accounts. And so it, it's kind of come full circle for me to really provide advice um, to founders as they look at executing on their growth strategy, try and take inventory of the, the value they have in their current business, help them improve that performance, and ultimately help them um, capitalize for growth if they want to continue on or, or divest and get some liquidity from, from the business. So I would say you can, you can be an entrepreneur in a large organization, but I think you have to also challenge that organization and challenge the leadership to say, hey, I've got a secret weapon in my ability to understand how to run a business. And that sort of entrepreneur, I remember some of the leadership at, at, at KPMG just talking about me and other people like me be, being kind of the shot in the arm that helped accelerate the thinking and challenge the thinking. So, you know, I think you can have that, whether you go into investment banking or you go into an operator business, um, that there's, you could be entrepreneurial in, in, in any, any organization. And I think it's, you know, I think if you go on this path, that's a, that's a secret weapon. I mean, there's a very small percentage of the population that can actually say, Hey, I've, I've hired a team, I've met payroll, I've delivered for customers, I've been fully accountable to every element of making a business successful. And I don't know your business, but I can learn it. 
and I got work. You know, I love some of the Mark Cuban stuff. Like no one's going to work harder. No one's going to try harder. No one's going to dig in deeper. And that's what entrepreneurs tend to do really well. And I think if you point that kind of cannon at, at any career or any business, you can, you know, on par, I think you can have more good outcomes than, than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hard work being the, uh, the, the huge enabler, right? For sure. And we, we see that, you know, again and again. So out of, out of interest, so you were at Deloitte. So what, what took you outside? What, what, what drove you to sort of look for other opportunities? Yeah. So great question. Cause I've, I've done that a few times in my, my career. I, I, I joked inside a few of the firms that I was on my sabbatical from risk and reward, mostly risk sort of what I said <laughs> over, over time. Um, and I, I literally still make that joke. Um, today and so that was a very real issue i mean when i first went into the firms i was you know i had a new baby at home and you know i you know some of those conversations were like nothing get a real job kind of thing <laughs> exactly some 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 real solid security would work just great right now with, Chris, with says your wife. it's not going to be sold uh, next week you know that, that that happened but you know my my time inside you know KPMG and a lot of the things I really like about MMP now is MMP is almost the way KPMG was when I when I joined. But you know, frankly, leaving comes down to leadership, right? Like whether you can execute on your kind of playbook inside a, a large opportunity. And I I think it's super healthy to go and do both. One thing I think I learned that some founders don't. There's a ton of romance and, and stories around being a founder. Well, sometimes you have to fold. You know, sometimes uh, the the right thing to do personally, or because of the, the really the the likelihood of commercial outcome um, being viable, sometimes you have to fold. I mean, we hear these romantic stories about how, and they're they're there and they're very real, and I, I love them. But like sometimes you your time is better used moving on to another opportunity. You would do that in your business if your end market was was wrong or your customer base went wrong or you didn't have a competitive advantage you, you try to recreate that in the business sometimes you got to do that in your your career as well and and just know when to move your time and your energy onto other opportunities because I'll, I'll tell you they'll they'll surface they'll, they'll be and you can't see them when you're fully invested in one sometimes you just gotta make make the move so you know for for me it's been healthy to to do it inside large organizations but also do it directly um, in them, and, and that's why I moved to the buy side when I left KPMG. I'd never been a professional um, portfolio manager or a buyer of businesses, so I went and worked for the world's best, and that's that. That created a whole new number of opportunities just from being on on the investor side and learning what it's like to to really deploy capital and deploy that capital in a disciplined way and do it do it against clear investment criteria and then met, help the business and the operations improve its performance. And now I'm doing that um, as an advisor and a consultant to, to entrepreneurial businesses. So I think you can get there in, in many, many different, different ways. Hey leaders, I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As we approach and surpass 300 episodes, well over 95% of the leaders that we have interviewed have been alumni of the Student Works Management Program. It has been an honor to participate in their development over the years. Starting now, 
and only for the fall months, we will be on campus at universities and colleges in Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you are interested in being a leader in our program or know someone who does, please go to the show notes and hit Student Works and get sent to a landing page to apply. There is a bold Student Works that you can hit to go to a landing page to apply. Thanks so much. Back to the show. And just for our leaders, Chris spent two years at Constellation Software, which is a hidden, unbelievably successful company in Canada. Most people aren't aware of just and, and what the incredible success Constellation is at. And maybe you could just share that uh, a little bit more depth. Yeah. And, and it was a big part of what attracted to me. I mean, I was a tech person my whole career. And I remember that that business was going public when I was back at, at um at Deloitte, and I didn't believe in the model. I mean, the technology is all about innovation and high growth, and and there's this buyer that's buying businesses and improving the performance, and then growing them, make them highly profitable. And I think for me, I uh, CSI had been a client, Constellation had been a client, and I saw their discipline and I saw their ability. You know, I was much more focused on sort of investor and shareholder outcomes in, at that point in my career um, and doing so with entrepreneurial businesses and um, just seeing the tremendous discipline and rigor um, to, to your point, you know, they, they call it the Warren Buffett of the software industry. I think they've bought more than 700 companies now, almost all founder-led businesses and created one of the best shareholder returns over time of, of, of any other company on the planet like there's there's five maybe that's done the same kind of thing it's in that class of of kind of warren buffett so you you know in some ways it takes you back to the very binary discipline that comes from running a small business like you need to make payroll you need to invest in your business you need to grow your business but you also have to be profitable and you have to you have to have metrics and you have to drive to those metrics you got to set goals around metrics and you got to deliver them and so I think being metric driven and being data driven is is certainly critical in the world we live in now. And I think it's instinctually the right way entrepreneurs think about things. And so that was a, a tremendous discipline. And then I went on and worked. I went back to a private equity backed business with a, a San Francisco Bay Area private equity firm that really had recapitalized a business that I'd actually sold when I was on the on the sell side. And they wanted to really transform that business competitively and, and through value creation by, by doing M&A. And so I moved from really one buyer to, a, to another buyer and, and built out those, those teams again to, to help us do acquisitions so that we could enter new markets in some cases, add product to our product portfolio, and in many cases, just improve our, our industry coverage. And so we bought five businesses in 18 months. Uh, you know, through the pandemic, which was which was a, a, remark, a remarkably difficult but but gratifying thing, and it really helped me bridge from the constellation experience about how do you really drive value creation? You you got to compete in your market. You got to customer. You got to have strong customer story. You got to have predictable recurring revenue. You have to do a whole bunch of things to make the business run 
but ultimately, you know, how do you generate value for for shareholders if you have shareholders and if you don't have shareholders, you want to create some value for for your entrepreneurial efforts at some point. And often, you know, figuring out how you build a business so that it's attractive to a shareholder, whether you want to do it with a minority venture or you want to do a majority private equity or you want to sell your business outright, you got to figure out the numbers and you got to figure out the performance playbook um, that creates value for shareholders. And you got to do that where you compete in your marketplace and build world-class products and create your competitive advantage and all those things. Too many businesses kind of focus on that first piece, but really never kind of create value for their, their shareholders. And, you know, I think particularly the world we're in now, you, you got to be able to show that you can demonstrate how you're going to create profit and deliver free cash flow back to your shareholders and create value and exit for your, for your stakeholders, including yourself if you're the founder or principal shareholder. Right. One thing that occurs to me about about your career, Chris, is is that you've moved here, you've moved there, and that you really are an entity, um, you know, apart from everything. Meaning, okay, a business gets attracted to you, they come recruit you, uh, opportunities come. I know one of the reasons that reconnected us about a year and a half ago was one of our very successful entrepreneurs was scaling something and looking for help. And I reached out to you and connected you too. So it's at this point, obviously in many ways, it doesn't really matter where you are because there's going to be people looking for your advice, for your skill set to drive results. Yeah. And I think as if you're a founder and you end up being a serial founder or entrepreneur through your career, you do need to figure out if you're going to build a business at scale and it's going to be it's going to create value beyond maybe what you might be doing if you're running a lifestyle business and 100% lifestyle businesses make perfect sense and, and serve their purpose. That's a big part of our client base um, at MMT. And we want to help those, those families or those founders get liquidity in many cases when they want to sell on corporate finance, investment banking or agent side of our business. But you need to make sure that as a founder, you're, you know how to surround yourself with advisors and not unlike what you experience as a coach. I mean, in many ways, as an advisor, you're, you're a coach. You spend as much time on the psychology as you do on the financial modeling in some cases, many times more. And if you're not a coachable founder, and, and many aren't, um, you are fundamentally limiting your, your growth profile and all your bravado and all your tenacity and all your persistence. You're going to discount that because you can't take straight advice or you can't um, consume advice. Uh, you're not frankly very self-aware about your strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, as investors and advisors, we, we, we look for pattern recognition around those things. It's about your financial performance and that, but it's, it's really about whether everybody talks about whether it's a backable team and all the rest of that. Well, if you're not a coachable founder, and I've, I've worked even recently for some founders who are absolutely not coachable, they're, they're just, they're just not, they're never going to scale because they, they are not really aware on, on accepting advice. It's almost like denying truth and denying science. Like it's just, it's a, it's a really bad thing that becomes habitual for a lot of founders that crack that code early, um, be curious, be self-aware, be open to advice, pay attention to the data, pay attention to the advice because you're just gonna you're just gonna burn emotional cycles, and you're gonna get discounted. And you won't even know it. 
uh, you end up in a situation where the advisor market won't work with you. And then when you want to do something complex, you know, and I've, I've worked with founders like that. And fortunately it's fewer than more, but they, but they do exist. That would be one of the biggest things I would, I would give it as advice, check your ego at the door. I mean, at Constellation, many companies, we were like, you had to be humble and you had to be self-aware. And if you were curious, humble and self-aware and willing to work hard, then you were going to be successful. And I think the, the pressure to be a leader shouldn't come with this blinder and this, this uh, approach that makes you not, not coachable. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's not I'm right or, or who's right. It's what's right, you know, and it's just, you know, and again, as, as you mentioned, what's factual, what's, what's correct, what's, you know, coachable. And I know for us, you know, certainly sometimes we recruit people in our first year and they're not coachable. We have all sorts of ways to identify that we will not return someone in a second year if they're not coachable, just, they just, it just doesn't fit. We don't want it. We we're, we're you know, more than enough success. We don't need it. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, and, and, you know, again, you can understand why a, a company it just, and, and you're right, even as an advisor, as the coach, quote unquote, it's so much psychic energy that you're wasting, right? It's like, hold, hold on, look, look, let's look at the data. We'll just consider this. And, and people are resisting, resisting. It's just exhausting. I'm, you know, sorry, I know. <laughs> and I, I'm sure, you know, as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and no one's going to tell you. I mean, most people aren't going to tell you, right? They're just kind of just not going to. You're going to end up getting bad advice from, from yes, wrong advice. So you know, if you think back, you know, what about big mistakes or failures or any takeaways from from them, Chris, for our leaders listening? Yeah, yeah. Well, some of it's sort of tied to that because I I make those comments with the personal experience, right? Like I went through Valley of Death in in year one and. <laughs> schedule creditors and then I had big success the next year and then I wanted to grow I think growth is a double-edged sword people talk about that but growth is usually driven by the mindset of that founder and as soon as your ego gets in the way of that um, you know that comes back to cliches like self-awareness but as soon as your ego starts to kick in then you're not listening and you're not curious anymore you're not actually doing diligence and diligence could mean just de-risking how you're going to take a risk because you're going to take a risk because you're doing risk-oriented things but that is the everybody talks about it i actually think i've seen a couple of generations of entrepreneurs right now they're just really pleasant because they're they're not high ego individuals they start with curiosity and problem solving and taking on structural problems and trying to structure them and, and make them into companies or products or or IP in my case, where it's technology driven. And I think that's, you know, that's the devil. That's the devil speaking when you're, when you know it all, when you think you're the best and you're winning and listen, you got to be over competitive and you got to be confident, right? And your value prop and all the rest of that. You got to pick at that, but you got to listen and you got to, you got to be low eagle when you do that. And I think that's, that's one of the risks for entrepreneurs is when you see success. You're inherently a glass half full person and you start thinking bigger and bigger and bigger. And you need to do that, but you need to calibrate around it as well. And it's not a it's not a straight line. It's it's gonna have peaks and valleys. And usually when it goes off the rails, it's it's often due to ego. You know, and I think that comes back to just knowing when to to fold them as well and in that earlier comment, right? Like you've got to be one thing that I've I've coached now hundreds of founders on is 
if you're a principal shareholder in a business, you need to be able to put your entrepreneur and your operator hat on when you're service customers, when you're competing in the market, whatever you're whatever you're doing to run the business. But you gotta put your shareholder, you gotta take your founder hat off and put your shareholder hat on. And you need to toggle those. I don't have a better analogy than a hat right now. Um, but that thinking um, is, is, is a really good way to round out uh, how you decision make against risk and opportunity. Yeah, no, I think that's, and again, it's, it's what makes this so hard, right? You, like one of my friends is very, very serial entrepreneur and I'm, and, and now, you know, basically angel investor for, for decades now. Um, so very early angel investor, which means very wealthy at a very young age. But I remember him saying, you know, Chris, they're in the front page of the business section because it's really unique, really different. You know, I remember he's a little bit older, you know, five, 10 years older. And it was like, ah, yeah, got it. Okay. This, you know, this is not normal. And so it's one of those things for us to capture as, as young entrepreneurs, like this is, this is different. And again, so many blends of characteristics that I need, you know, to be successful and so many different people on my team that I need to be successful as well. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a difference now is you 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 gotta build a full full team around it. And I mean, we used to at Deloitte, we had the fast 50 list that KPMG was a different list. We're, we're gonna cover that market really well at MMP. And you know, we used to kind of talk about the fast 50 being the fast falling list because they hit high growth, they got they got all the you know attention out of it, and they're gonna they're gonna fail at the next stage because they're they're gonna fall fast because they're driven by their growth and they're reinforced by that outcome and they're not they just have a different mindset on 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 things and i think that's uh that's a that's a big thing to watch for yeah for sure for sure and what did what did you need to change about yourself you know chris when you think about you know the the student exiting you know the young leader exiting student works and you know over the over the last number of de- uh, decades to become the real value creator you are now um you know i think it's one of the things that was the path I ended up moving towards, which was there was a business that was in a growth stage and they were really going to ultimately do a transaction to either fund that growth or try to, I mean, that's what we do professionally as advisors now, but you do that when you're on the operational side. And I think the um, the big difference for me is um, because I did things on gut instinct as an entrepreneur, you tended to damn the torpedoes and just heroically try and win. Some of those work harder play, push harder, compete better. But, you know, I think I'm much more data driven. I'm much more of a, a diligence, a much more diligent mind. I'm clearly much deeper into financial analysis um, than I would have been in an owner operator um, role in a smaller entrepreneurial environment where you're just, you know, feeding hours and, and trying to win customers. But I think being data driven um, and developing a, a real thesis around an opportunity. Like once you get to a certain grade of investment for anyone, you're really trying to figure out whether uh, that business has what it takes to, to really scale. And you do, you do a level of diligence. So I, I, I think about, you, you think about taking risks as an entrepreneur, you don't think about mitigating them very much. And I think if I were to start over, I, I do both really hard because it informs you to take risks and people talk about that. But once you get to a certain scale, if you're not doing that, uh, the downturns are going to be really 
painful and it might just wipe you out and wipe your shareholders out. And I think we're in a world now where that level of investing has changed. We're certainly in an environment right now where growth at all costs is, is really off the table. And so, yeah, if I could restart it, I joke with a lot of my team members and some of the, the new new staff now that if I could start all over and start it in audit, you know, and I start, <laughs> I start in accounting, not in, <laughs> not in operations. You obviously need, need both, but I think you can be really deeply curious, do your diligence, take some of the edge off the risk so that you're trying to mitigate, but still go and take a risk. And, and I think that's the, maybe you, maybe you can only get that benefit of being around too long, but I think you also curate that pretty early in your career if you have that mindset and that discipline. For sure, for sure. Both of us uh, have been bruised quite a bit. And so, yes, we certainly think, think, think about that at this point in our, our time. But you're right. Wish I'd understand that sooner, right? That that would have... Like imagine if I'd taken a different approach to investing in R&D and my R&D budget in my first startup that I did purely on my own or the other ones that I've been part of. Like, what if I'd been much more rigorous on competitive analysis and, and looking at customer data and trying to figure out the pricing model and the business model and how you're going to compete. What if I'd done that work instead of just trying to go out and land customers, right? You got to do both, but but the outcomes are probably going to be better. And you're going to scale, right? Like it's the foundation. Like what was great about student works is it was a system that helped you scale faster, right? Well, do the same thing in the way you approach, have a system. And it's one of the reasons why these great companies become great companies. They have just an incredibly powerful system that just, again, literally throws off money to shareholders, value to customers, and just, you know, again, keeps growing, keeps growing, keeps growing. You know, like these amazing companies, Walmart, Amazon, or whatever, growing incredibly over decades. Well, and the, the asset test that a little bit of this is coming out of the technology industry and out of the venture industry, but, you know, there's this idea of, Getting product market fit. So, do you really have a product that is a whole product? Is it really a pro- do you really have product market fit, or do you have real problems in your product that you're going to fix after you've sold them? That's a guaranteed way to not scale. And so, you actually shouldn't be pushing hard on the more button for sales and marketing until you've got product market fit. And then your next challenge is to create a repeatable sales motion create a repeatable process that allows you to actually onboard customers. And then, and that's how you have, that's how you build the scale, right? And you don't pass go until you've done those things and getting to that repeatable process, you need a system. You need to build those systems early. And sometimes that's feeling counterintuitive to a, a heroic entrepreneur that just wants to go out and grow and grow and grow. Well, you're going to grow, but you're not going to scale. And then you're not going to create value. And you're usually gonna, you're, you're certainly not gonna, you're not gonna get to that repeatable process. And so, that's if I if I could do one thing earlier, it'd be that like, it's on a system, focus, have the discipline to create a repeatable process, and then and then scale. Don't just try to and grow for the, the sake of growth. Love it, love it. So, two final questions because I know we're bumping into just a crazy, crazy uh, pack schedule for you. So. Anything else you'd like to share with our young leaders before my final question? I think in the world we're in now, you have to be, some of it's what, what I've mentioned, but, but you've got to do the homework and you've got to do the diligence. I'm trying to quantify the opportunity you're trying to execute on. 
there's other ways to get there, but we live in a pretty sophisticated world right now in terms of how capital moves, you know, how thesis has art evolved. And I, I think you've, you've really, you've got to do the work and you've got to build a very strong thesis. It's got to be data-driven and it's got to be very thoughtful strategically so that you essentially have a strong competitive thesis and you have a financial thesis that someone can get get their head around if you're if you're kind of at that stage of, of of development and that sounds like a big complicated things but but you can start in a very small business and apply those disciplines and see where that takes you it doesn't have to be you don't need a firm like mmp to advise you on those types of of things but make sure you've got you know coaches and, and mentors around that can help you with decision making and make sure you do that with you know there's a lot of bad advice out there and there's a lot of people that have single instances of experiences um and they may have created created tremendous wealth out of that but they're they actually don't have a repeatable model they don't have a process that they can actually transfer over to you as an entrepreneur and i think you have to um you have to calibrate around who you get help from as you progress in your career or in your business yeah that's so important you know you know so to 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 get really really great coaching to get really really great advice you know that's uh makes so much sense and so final question chris when you think of the leader of tomorrow what do you think of yeah it's a, it's a tough one I, I mean i think it's it's a lot of those i think the spirit matters the spirit will always matter right like that entrepreneurial spirit you know, there's no reason why today you can't have more of that than, than we've had at any other time in history. I'm still very bullish on that, that system and that opportunity. And But I, I think there's a lot more purposeful team building and product building. I think the, the best companies in the world really get their product or their offering really, really like right? I think customer success and really focusing on what customer success means and and doing that right, engineering quality products, you know, that's probably what, and doing so, like, I don't like to push on the purposeful invention thing, but I that does matter. We've got big problems to solve in the world we live in today that it's a different version of what we've had in the past and if you have the intellectual luxury and the ability to work hard and the capability to, to innovate you know i think there's a bit of responsibility there um you know engineers they, they, they learn that you have a purpose to to make society better that doesn't have to be a, a really elusive thing it can be very purpose-built in how you create something that that improves things but i think i think that's just another competitive advantage that you add to your overall offering and it's a it's a it's a, it's a tough one right like what does that future leader look like i think many of the previous things are that i think what is done is just you know i'm the leader you follow we're going in this direction. We're going to dam the torpedoes. Like that's those are kind of famous. I mean, we'll get an odd good outcome just because tenacity and persistence wins the day, but that's not a scalable model. It's not going to represent most of what happens. It's highly risky. It's very destructive to personalities. I think you've got to build different teams. You got to be much deeper and intimate in how you look at 
opportunities. Your thesis has to be more sophisticated, like I mentioned. And I think you've you've got to you got to pull on all those levers to to get good outcomes. So I think that's what the, the future leaders will will have to crack the code on. Awesome, awesome. Well, well, Chris, I'm so appreciative of uh, you uh, you know, spending the time. Uh, you know, lots of things happening out there in the market that you're advising your clients and uh, and shareholders uh, to sort out. So, uh, so again, uh, really appreciate it. Looking forward to getting together with you this fall and maybe having you to another uh, speaking event uh, in 2023. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm always uh, always willing to help uh, any entrepreneur that's uh, is trying to execute on their on their problems. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Take care. Have a great day. Cheers. Talk to you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now, and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.